0: Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rossella. All right, we're getting closer. Election Day is upon us. Early voting's happening out there. Mail-in voting. Absentee voting. I hope you figured out your plan. I hope you're taking action. We turned in our ballots this weekend. Our town hall has a drop box that is specifically for ballots. And I verified that on a state of Massachusetts website. So I know it is a legitimate drop box and it was under lock and key and the whole thing. So I, I feel like it's safe, but it's done. Ballots are filled out, put in the double envelope, signed, the whole thing. If you don't know yet how you're going to be voting, go try to figure that out. Go make a plan. Get out there. We've still got time. November 3rd. That's the day. Go do it. Scott Cardi is my guest today. I'm really excited for this one. Scott has a really interesting story. His background is primarily in broadcasting. He was in radio, primarily in the Seattle area for many years, transitioned over to TV. He's done a lot of work as an entertainment correspondent, both for TV and radio, including for the Daily Buzz. And he also was a morning radio DJ on a Christian radio station in Seattle. We're going to talk about that. And just sort of that career move. But he has done a huge pivot in this time. Going from broadcasting to building sheds. He founded Backspace Sheds just this past summer. And it's already taken off. And is a really exciting new business for him. So we talk about sort of his history in entertainment. And then how he's been able to transition over to building sheds in this time. At a time when you know the entertainment industry is kind of in shambles. To put it mildly. But Scott's a guy that I have known for, it's probably been eight or 10 years now at this point. Uh, I first met him when I was with This Old House, and he came to one of our job sites in Seattle. And then we've stayed in touch with each other. He's come out and and visited some of the job sites in Boston before. I've really probably only met him two or three times in person, but he's one of those guys that uh, I stay connected with on social media. You know, you can see what people are up to. And it's one of the great things about Twitter and Instagram and all that is that you can meet somebody once and feel a connection to them and, you know, mutually follow each other and just sort of keep tabs on each other for eight or 10 years, even if you don't uh, don't hang out in person all that much. But Scott was also one of the people that really inspired me and got me going on this show. I don't know how much backstory I've ever really talked about <laughs> in terms of like where quarantine creatives came from and sort of the idea for it. but. I was laid off in March of this year, and by May, you know, feeling like while everything was shut down, finding work again was going to be really tough, and I kicked around a couple of ideas for different podcasts because it seemed like this was something that I could do from home, by myself, with, you know, a phone line or something, and I wasn't sure exactly what the right avenue was going to be, but I felt like podcasting could be something I could try. And Scott was in a similar situation. He had left a job DJing in March as well and had launched a podcast, which we'll talk about here, the Scott Cardi party. And I had heard a couple of his episodes and seen that he was doing it. And I had just sent him a note and said, look, I'm thinking of starting a show. Can we chat? And we talked for maybe 45 minutes or an hour back in May and talked all about different equipment and different best practices. He's the one that got me my hosting site that I used for, you know, where these uh, these podcasts are stored. And so he was a really valuable resource for me and was one of the people that, you know, really gave me an early boost, both in terms of knowledge and in terms of confidence that this was something I could do and that this was uh, something worth pursuing. And now here I am, you know, 46 shows later talking to him again, but this time about his path. And his journey. So we're going to talk broadcasting. We're going to talk building. It's a really fun, great conversation. I'm so happy to share it with you. Here it is, my conversation with Scott Cardy. Uh, well, I want to start by just sort of asking you about, you know, the last six, seven months. How has this quarantine period been for you?
1: I, every adjective you can throw at it, man. It's interesting, exciting, challenging. Um uh... I don't know that I would say fun, uh, but there have been certainly some fun and memorable moments on on how we've dealt with it and, you know, things that we've been able to do, whether it's, you know, me with my kids or with my girlfriend and her kids. And it it has just been something where you have always been thinking. I think that's part of the exhausting part of it too, is that there's been some exhaustion. You get worn out with having to put the mask on and having to, Check the hours on where you're going to go and all of those things that we took for such granted. But in a weird way, I kind of find that refreshing and it is it's slowed us down. It's made us focus on on the quality of relationships and making sure that you're enjoying what you're doing, that you're able to be safe with it, that you're not going too fast. It's been it's been a time that really has demanded creativity.
0: Yeah. There's a deliberateness just sort of, as you're talking about, you Mm -hmm. know, checking hours and things like that. It just makes me think like, it's a lot harder to just, you know, on a Saturday, go wander around a mall or something like that. Like if you're doing something, you're kind of doing almost everything with purpose. At least that's what I'm finding now.
1: And honestly, for me, that's refreshing because I am a scatterbrain to begin with. (laughs) Right. Me too. You know, I, I can go off to that mall and then, Six hours later, i don't know where I am or what I'm doing or why I'm there, but I'm there, like I said, it simplifies it. I grew up in a small town on a little island outside of Seattle, and the grocery store shut down I think at nine o'clock and all that so then moving to the big city, you just get used to the twenty four hour lifestyle right. and it uh, i don't I don't necessarily think that that's all that good for us, so this has been kind of a a positive change in some ways,
0: yeah how's just what what's life like in seattle these days like just you know walking around the streets and stuff do you feel a palpable difference
1: well you follow the media right we're an anarchy state and we're all boarded <laughs> up right now um listen there are pockets of that here in seattle that a lot of businesses downtown seattle are boarded up just because you don't have that downtown core right. of all the people from amazon which has countless buildings downtown um i've got several friends who are chefs and restaurateurs, and they've had to close down or shut down completely. Um, and that's been hard to see. A lot of the stores downtown still have plywood up on their windows, even though they're open inside like the Nordstrom flagship. Yeah. And, and that is because aside from COVID, we're still in, you know, a very divisive time and there's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of people that want to be Troublemakers, there's a lot of people that want to peacefully protest and and make their feelings known. And uh, businesses just haven't been able to peel down that plywood yet.
0: Yeah. What do you think it is about the Northwest? You know, Seattle and Portland both seem to sort of be in the headlines for this this civic unrest right now. And, you know, it's happening everywhere. There's protests in New York. There's protests, obviously, in, you know, Wisconsin and, and everywhere. But is is there something is there some mix in, in the Northwest that makes it particularly potent right now, do you think? I
1: blame Nirvana. I don't I mean, <laughs> the angst of our grunge era. I don't know. Um, you know, both states are, are traditionally blue states, you know, more on the progressive liberal side, whatever term you want to use. But, you know, you've got you've got these pockets. And, and then there's been all the talk of, well, there are people coming from the outside, you know, and flying in. And, and I, I don't know what it is. It's. It is just, for some reason, Seattle, and this goes this goes way back to, there was a world trade uh, event up here and riots, and I just, I don't know what it is.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think our protesters are a little hardier, and they don't care about a little bit of rain, so <laughs> they true, just yeah. go out regardless, right? L.A., they're going to go, oh, it's raining. No, no, I'm not going to do that today.
0: There is something too, just thinking about kind of the Amazon and and the Microsoftness of it that I I felt anyways, The couple of times I've been out there of just it it does feel like inequality is more pronounced. And sort Mm -hmm. of the growth uh, growth has been very exponential over the last, you know, 20 plus years, particularly in Seattle, San Francisco, places like that, where, you know, a generation ago, you could you could raise a middle class family and, and, you know, have a decent life pretty close to town but I, like i just i have vivid memories of kind of noticing like in the clover leaves at uh, at the highway exits like tent cities mm-hmm. just set up in several of them which i i yeah. don't i never really experienced in other parts of the country again not saying there's not homelessness elsewhere but just right. it felt more pronounced in seattle for some reason
1: well you know in my in my media travels that i was traveling a lot and sure so i would see a lot of different countries and cities and there's nothing nothing like what we have here in Seattle and the inequality is there. There are people that are making exorbitant amounts of money. The housing market is crazy. You put a house on the market and you have multiple bids that day. People that will all individually pay for inspections before they even put in the bid. You know, I sold a house a few years ago and I, I was amazed that seven people paid for inspections now that's not, that's money. You're not getting back. Right. Right. That is, you're just putting that out
0: there. This is before even because making an offer. This was literally be, like, Before let's even, even making it a, an offer. Wow, that's yep. crazy.
1: Because your offer has to be bigger and you're going to be on, on the line for more if you don't know what you're getting into. Um, so yes, the inequality is there. there. There's a terrible homeless problem out here. Um, there is a terrible addiction and mental health crisis out here. I add that because all of the homelessness is not that right. I would say that most of it is, but you know, where, where I have a shop now it's a very industrial area and I can, I'm looking out to my left right now and I can count 20, uh, Mm. decrepit RVs that have been towed there and placed there Mm. and people live in those. And that's, that's just within the view. If I keep going up that road, there are another 50. Wow. And then around the corner there are tents and it isn't just at the clover leaves it's it's in mid level to upscale neighborhoods at the end of the sidewalk people set up a tent wow these are not somebody who's addicted to heroin and scattering garbage everywhere it's a, like a it's like a neat clean campsite but that's where they're living they're choosing to do that because your rent for a studio apartment is $2200 wow
0: yeah, it's it's wild. And it just it feels like that sort of as the backstory to all of this, like when you add COVID on top of that, when you add, you know, the civic unrest and racial injustice and all this, it just it, it does kind of become this tinderbox in a way. Right. There's just there's mm-hmm. so many factors coming together. It's right. uh, It's wild. Well, I definitely I want to talk about sort of your new business and, and sort of the pivot you've made during the quarantine. But I think before that, I just kind of, I'm really curious, sort of your background. I know we've, we've intersected a number of times and, you know, Mm -hmm. have have chatted uh, in in various roles, um, you know, when you've been doing radio and, and different things. But like, what was it for you that sort of, take me back to how you first got the bug. What made you want to be in broadcasting?
1: In broadcasting? Oh, it was probably a lot of hours of talking to myself in a mirror, um, you know, in seventh grade, it was probably the most vivid for me of hearing this one DJ on a top 40 station in Seattle. Uh And I was just sort of mesmerized by this guy. And the the part of me that maybe you've come to know a little bit is that if I'm interested in something, I just pick up the phone and I make the call. I I don't, I've never feared somebody's, uh, a celebrity and I can't approach them, which we'll, we'll get into, but this was a, a DJ who was like the number one DJ in the market. And I ended up calling like you used to on radio stations and the phone would ring and ring, and ring, or you'd have busy signals. And then I'd finally get through and, and I'd say, Hey Mark, this is Scott from Whidbey Island. And he, he started to get to know me from that. Yeah. I was just one in a million. Right. But I told him, I said, I'm really interested in what you do and I want to do what you do someday. And he and I, to this day, 30 some years later are still really good friends and he still talks about how, because I said that, that mattered. And that, you know, you don't often hear somebody tell you, I really want to do what you do.
0: Right. And in the way you do it probably too. I mean, that's, that's like a double couple. You have to be earnest about it. Right. It isn't
1: just like, I want to come take your job or, Oh, that sounds interesting. No, it's like, that's what I wanted to do. Right. So I got to know him. I ended up interning there. I ended up working for him as a producer. I never left and ended up working at that company for 20 years. Wow. And we merged with a television station that allowed me to go from working at a radio station on the air as music director, as a production director, copywriter, voice talent, everything, which is also a little foreshadowing is you know, a chance to get into TV. So TV, I was like, well, I, I'd love to go do the entertainment segment, the yeah. you know, the the buzz segment. And so I went to the news director, and she said, sure, next time you're on. I'm like, uh. So <laughs> started that, and then that led to an entertainment radio show, which led to interviewing movie stars on the radio, which led to interviewing movie stars for TV, and hundreds of thousands of air miles later, flying around the world to sit down with Morgan Freeman three different times and have cocktails with Charlize Theron and Sam Elliott and interview Jennifer Aniston. And, you know, the list just goes on and on and on being able to cover new movies that were coming out and talk to these stars.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious just about that whole process because like I've heard this term junket and I'm vaguely Mm -hmm. familiar with sort of how they work, but I'm I'm just curious sort of from your standpoint, like, how did like as you're going in to interview these stars? Like, sort of walk me through. I guess like what is what is a day like when you <laughs> when you show up for an interview like that?
1: Well, it, it is not as glamorous as a lot of people might think. But when somebody first said, "Well, do you do junkets?" and I said, uh, "What are junkets?" and they said, well, oh, we we fly you to cover a new movie. You see the premiere of the movie, uh, and then the next day you do interviews with the stars." and they send you back with the tapes of your interviews, and you put together a story which talks about the movie. Yeah. And and I said, yes, of course I do junkets. and <laughs> So that was where it started, Um, and that's really what it is. I, I would many a time either land in L.A. or New York. Those are the two most predominant sites. Sure. And I would land, and I would go directly from the airport, sometimes directly to the theater. I wouldn't even stop at the hotel. So wow. I'd go into the theater with my suitcase, I'd watch the movie or to a screening room in Beverly Hills or or whatever it may be. And then you'd go try to grab a bite and a drink and get yourself to bed. And then the next morning you're up at eight o'clock. You're going through your press notes and by about nine o'clock, you've had to check in and you're sitting there in a uh, hotel suite uh, that's been turned into a big conference room essentially. Yeah. And, there were about 25 of us who were domestic television reporters. All, like so many of us are really good friends. And we would sit there and one after the other, you go, you go wait outside the room for Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. And you go in and they go, okay, Scott, four minutes. Wow. And you've got four minutes to do an interview.
0: Yeah. Yeah and it's their crew it's like you're you're the only thing that's changing in that equation exactly like the 25 yeah. reporters are, are cycling in all it. the
1: cameras are set up and yeah. you've got Hollywood Foreign Press coming in on a different day gotcha. and you've got print people that go down to a press conference and, and you're just you're in in certain hotels and it's you just go room to room and then you leave and they hand you an SD card with your interview on it and you come back and that's where I learned how to do all the editing and, and put it together but right Yeah, you walk in and you've got two, sometimes three stars you're interviewing at the same time, hopefully just one, and you've got four minutes.
0: (laughs) What are your – yeah, like I I just imagine there must be so many different competing interests running through your head in that moment of like, Mm -hmm. you know, for you, you want to get great content, I would think, and just, you know, some sort of interesting or memorable moment you know that the person across from you is probably answering the same question, you know, 24 Mm -hmm. other times that day. So like, do you ask that question or not? I'm guessing there's a piece of it that, you know, you're thinking about your news director back at the station and like, you know, I've got to come back with the goods for this, but you're probably also thinking about maybe, I don't know the, the publicist or, you know, the, the studio portion of it where, you know, they've paid your travel to get there. And, you know, if they like what you did, you're invited back to the next one. Like, trying to juggle all of those competing interests in the span of a four minute interview. Like what, what are you aiming for? I guess when you, when you sit down across from a Leonardo DiCaprio and and you have four minutes to ask questions.
1: I am aiming for the same thing I'm aiming for in this conversation, which is just to be real Uh and, and to be able to have a moment, you know, let me touch a touch base on a couple of the items there. Number one, the studios, they've paid for your travel. Yes. They put you up in a nice hotel room. Uh, They give you a per diem for food. That part is all all great. Um, it's nice. And it's good because it isn't held over you. It isn't pressuring you that you have to say something great about the movie.
0: Right.
1: You know, we're all I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, so I can be critical of a movie. I could be critical of a performance if I want. Uh, but one of my rules and, and, you know, I didn't I never really had anybody telling me you need to go ask this. And you need to go ask this whether it was a news director or a publicist, because I was going to ask what I was going to ask and And that's what they ended up liking. So they ended up liking the real me in the interviews. The studios liked me, the talent liked me because I would go in with something different and I wasn't asking the same questions over and over. And I was able to have some fun with them. And it was a, it was a different type of interview. I don't go in with notes. I don't go in with a sheet of questions. Some of my colleagues do some of my colleagues research the actors and their past performances and and they want to know how a certain scene was shot on the technical side. I'm there really just to connect with the person and have hopefully have a laugh yeah. or maybe share a tear. Um, let it let it be emotional. And I've had interviews where I've gotten choked up and I've had interviews where we've just laughed hysterically. <laughs> yeah. And and I've had interviews where I've left and like, wow, man, that was that a God moment or what? You know that that was a that was a cool moment right there.
0: I wonder too, just talking about you know calling that DJ out of the blue, you know, as a seventh grader, and and just sort of that that lack of intimidation around Mm -hmm. you know celebrity and sort of that sort of thing. Like, I guess when you're when you're going into that room for the first time and you know shaking these people's hands, like. What what what's going through your head? How are you feeling in that moment?
1: That that they they are a real person, and that they all started somewhere just like I did. Mm. I, I you know I've had so many situations where I look at somebody like Tyler Perry. We've had a chance to talk a few times. Wonderful guy. There was a guy who was sleeping in his car, yeah, and somehow got exposed to Oprah, and some things changed. I, I look at people that started off as child actors. They've got a different experience. I look at some people who like Morgan Freeman, it wasn't until his fifties that he made a break. Right. And you know, these are people that at some point they all are just like you and me. I know that sounds weird and cliche, but they do wake up every single day. They do have families. They, they do have goals and dreams they might have more zeros at the end of their bank account than you and me, yeah. but they're, they got there because they started in the church choir right. or the school play or because they were, were trying to break into acting and got discovered by somebody at a restaurant when they were a waiter. That's Chris Pratt right there. You've got so many different stories, and, and I find those inspiring. You know, A lot of people just look at the glitz and glamour, and they think, oh, they're a star, and they have everything perfect. It's not. They, man, they, some of these people work so hard in the number of projects that they're doing. Sure. Yes. They're rewarded handsomely. So no tears shed for them on that, but I just go in and, and I, I treat them like they're a real person. If I sit there and I gush over them, you know, anybody who, you know, if I were to go, Oh, he's here just doing such a great job with this podcast. I just have, you're just amazing. Heath. you're going to kind of go like, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> right. Right. Playoff Scott. Yeah. Right. So just, just be real. That's the, That's
0: the key. Yeah. I feel like one of the things that you're able to do really well, too, is just sort of form that instant connection where, like, you know, in the first five seconds of your interview, your subjects just feel like there's an ease that you can sort of see in them. Mm. And they're ready to have fun. I think they're ready to play along. Mm. Like, I wonder just sort of if that was a skill that you developed or is that just sort of, is that your personality? Have you just always sort of been that way?
1: That's I, honestly, this is my personality. I, I believe in a handshake when you walk in, I believe in really the power of three words. How are you? Sometimes if you ask them a little bit more deliberately, it just, it registers differently. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I tend to be a friendly guy. It's, gotten me into trouble sometimes <laughs> um, you know it's I've come across as naive sometimes but I like people I like stories and I I just when I go in I'm not afraid I'm not nervous I'm not fearing if I don't ask a certain question or I got to make sure I ask this one I I just really trust being in the moment and, and and thank you for what you said there because that's that's really honestly for me that's the the greatest thing anybody can say about the interview is like, oh, wow, that was that was a good conversation.
0: Yeah, for real. And it's, you know, <laughs>
1: whether it was some big revelation or not.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's the challenge is is trying to figure trying to find that nugget in four minutes. You know what I mean? Like for me, mm-hmm. it's it's a 45 minute conversation and I have time to lead up to it and, you know, time to warm up with a guest and stuff and just sort of they figure out me. I figure out them. But like you've got to hit the ground running when you're doing that kind of stuff.
1: The very first interview that I ever did in a junket format was with Woody Harrelson. Oh, wow. And he was playing a mentalist in a movie and Woody, Woody is also very environmental. So when you go into Woody's interview rooms, all of the room lights are off mm. and all of the air conditioning is off and the windows have to be, able to be open so they're open so you might hear a siren or something
0: yeah
1: and and it's a little warm in there right Woody's fine with it he's just sweating and having his way but he he wants to save electricity and all that it's great so i go in and i'm nervous i'm i'm in new orleans and i i look at him and i i'm like okay i'm gonna play off of this whole mentalist thing and i look at him and i say woody what are you thinking right now (laughs) <laughs> or, I, or I said, What do you think? I'm no, I said, What do you think I'm thinking right now? And he looks at me and he pauses. And that pause, as I'm thinking about the four minutes, yeah, felt like a minute and a half, right? And he looked at me and he just said, I think you really like my blue shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Yes. And I, I swear I thought the interview was half over at that point. Yeah, and then right. I'm like, okay, I gotta ask another question and you know. I I don't know that I've ever gone back and looked at that interview, but it was quite the moment.
0: I love that. That's awesome. And it just feels like that uh that uh positive trend continued through your career. I I'm curious, sort of, you know, you you've had some job changes recently and I know you moved over to, to doing some work on Christian radio. Like what was what was the change there? What, I, I guess, talk to me about just sort of what made you want to move to a station like that. And, you know, was it, was it a space where, you know, your background, I get like, do you come from a, from a religious background? Was it sort of a fit for you?
1: Uh, it, it was a, uh, it was definitely a new move for me. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah. I, I, I did grow up uh, going to church in a little small church. I grew up, my, my mom and dad were very involved in the church. I spent many weekends with my dad there as we swapped out all of the stained glass windows in the sanctuary, wow. uh, which is a really cool story yeah. that I could tell you for hours and hours. A local artists made them, and then and then we put them in sort of one by one. They're still there. Wow. You know, and so I had some, some cool moments growing up, but I also had some real challenging moments where I was like, wait a second, none of this stuff makes sense, and, you know, not not feeling a belief in god and not feeling like i needed that in my life and you know went through college and then got married after college and you know my my now ex-wife was never anybody that had been involved in religion or or had faith and so that was was something that started to come up as the years went on and and I had a lot of loss in my life. I had my mom die unexpectedly in 2004, Mm. the day before my first child was born. Um, I had my dad die five years later. I just, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, that went on. And as I started to get a little older and I guess supposedly wiser, I started asking more questions and saying, what's going on here? And my faith really started to, nudge at me. And, you know, I started to you know, kind of move forward with it. And if I was traveling, you know, I, I popped into a, a church in, in um, Hollywood once and I ended up sitting next to Don Henley.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and
1: so Don Henley and I had had communion together and I, you know, and I started just kind of going through these moments. i w I've always been a Christian. I haven't always been the most active, uh, Christian and, and vocal Christian. And then after I had been laid off from my radio job and was doing all my freelance work, doing the TV interviews uh, there kind of came a point where a couple of those outlets that I was serving who weren't, weren't functioning and paying. And I saw an ad for uh, a DJ position at this local Christian radio station. And I thought, I don't, I don't, I would, I don't know that I'd ever do Christian radio. Yeah. Quite frankly, I don't really like the music. (laughs) (laughs) Some of it's good, but, but there are a lot of it like, wait a second. And kind of getting back to what we talked about the Northwest. It's like, first off, I thought the job was going to be like a part-time weekend thing that maybe I could voice track and just, you know, submit my tracks. So I applied and then I went in and they're like, Oh no, this is, uh, we'd actually like to talk to you about doing the morning show. Like, you want me to do the morning show? on a Christian radio station. Okay. And so we had this really frank interview because I was like, look, if they're interested in me, they're going to get the real deal. And (laughs) I'm not going to hold any punches. I'm just going to tell them like it is. My brother's an Episcopal priest. I, you know, live here in Seattle in the Northwest. And I told him, I said, you know, guys, um, look, if you like what you see me doing with all these Hollywood interviews and all of that, and you like it because I can be entertaining and conversational and approachable and relevant. That's great. And if you want me to come in and do that, that's awesome. I kind of think that this could be a really neat thing to do because I think what could be best for this format is to be more approachable Right. and, and to not make people feel like you're not Christian enough Right. or you need to be more Christian or, that if you haven't gone to church in fifteen years, you shouldn't be listening to this station. Because the reality is that Seattle is one of the lowest church populations there is right. in the country. Yeah. And I said, in Seattle, you've got a better chance of knowing if someone prefers bourbon over beer, <laughs> if they smoke weed, yeah. and if they're gay than right. you do if they're Christian and they actually go to church. Nobody talks about it. Right. We don't ask what are you doing Saturday? because we already know what you're doing Sunday. We just ask, what are you doing this weekend? Right. Because well, none of us assume you're going to church yeah. and that seemed to really strike a chord. And so we got started and I was able to kind of go in and, and do my thing and be myself. And I got matched up with a partner who had come from a deep Christian radio background and worked in the South. So that was quite a difference in approaches and histories. Right. And,
0: just culturally, and, you know, the two different ends yeah, of the spectrum there, sure. Right,
1: right. And so, you know, I did my best, and then some things started to change on the uh, management side, and, you know, it is what it is, and it, it just was no longer a place for me to do what I thought I could go do in that arena, so.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting to me, too, just because I feel like, for anybody, like, if, if you're in a public space like you are, you know, you, you, you've been a voice on the air in Seattle for a long time or on people's TVs, like switching to a different format is a tough move, right? Like people sort of, they, well, they pigeonhole especially you. in this market. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what was that like just for you? Like, a, Yeah, as kind of your personal brand. Well, I mean,
1: look, I didn't get invited to as many interviews. Um, and I also... Wasn't a whole bunch I could go do with some rated R horror movie, right? Even though I don't mind watching them, and but I'm not going to come on and preach and say, "Well, this is you know this is a sign of Satan and you know whatever." It's entertainment. Um, So I, I never really felt the brunt of it. I think I I certainly had some friends who were like, "Whoa, wait, what? Huh?" Yeah. Going back to my point is that we don't really talk about it here, and for me, it was it was a chance to. I guess, represent it, not talk about it. Mm. And, you know, to make it, like I said, approachable. And and it was, you know, on the real positive side, there were a lot of people that I would have never imagined in my life called me and said that they started listening. And they really, really loved the show. And I said, well, what do you think about the music? Well, some of them are a little better, but, you know, some of them kind of pick me up, makes me make me feel a little bit better. I'm like, good job done. Right. right. (laughs) I'm like, okay, perfect. I'm not out to convert a bunch of people. I'm not out to, you know, end Buddhism. I'm just out there to say, yeah, this is, this is what I believe in. And I feel pretty lucky to have that in my life. It's made a difference for me. And, um, by the way, did you hear what, uh, (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld said, you know, or, or, oh, there's a new movie out that your family might want to go see, even if it's PG 13 gasp,
0: (laughs) Yeah. you know, so, it was it was a it was, filter uh, to apply to things, but it wasn't it wasn't the full lens. In other no, words, no, it, it yeah. wasn't.
1: I it, it, and that's that's just me. That's that's not you know. If people told me, "Well, you're in the ministry now," I'm like, I don't know. And they say, "Well, you're the you're the pastor." Of, it's like you're the pastor of the largest church. I go, uh, no, no. <laughs> in fact, I quite honestly, I found that offensive because yeah. it's like I'm not a pastor, right? And I, I have pastors. I hold pastors in high regard for. Their belief and their calling and their training and yeah, it was a little, little bit interesting. I don't know that I would go back to it. Yeah. But I also can't say that I would completely rule it out if right. I, you know, if I could be with somebody in a in a podcast format that we could talk about it, then that that could be cool. So
0: yeah, it, it is interesting just that.
1: The, but I still drink bourbon and beer.
0: So. <laughs> well, you're in Seattle. I mean, that's yeah, yeah that's part right. of it. But you know, I I feel like that the conversation piece of it around religion. It is true that it is, it is such a taboo subject now. And I think in part because it's become sort of so polarized. And and as you say, mm-hmm. it's 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 not just sort of like where are you on this spectrum. It's like, hey, I'm here. And if you're not there, you suck. You know, that's sort of been yeah. the message. It's been a surprise for me on this show that like faith has been a topic that seems to keep coming up with guests. And like I'm I'm where you were, you know, several years ago of like grew up with it, but sort of have discarded it at this point in my life. And the conversations that I'm sort of having is like, you know, I don't I don't understand it anymore. But I want to make sure that I'm not missing something, I guess. And that's right. part of why yeah. it's been fascinating. But yeah, it is just such a weird, like, it's not something that you can just sit down, you know, at dinner with friends and be like, what's your deal? How do you feel about this? People get really weird and testy about it.
1: And it, it is not something that I'm ever going to have the answer to. Right. That, of course. That, I think there's There's some peace that comes with accepting that. I think there are a lot of people that they expect to get the answer right away. They expect it to be perfectly clear. And then when something goes bad, well, pfft, yeah, that's done. Right. Well, that's part of that's part of the journey of life. Right. And and I think that those are the moments that continue to show us that there's something a lot, a lot bigger at work. But the the part about it becoming taboo is also it's taboo to say I'm a Christian for some. Yeah. It's taboo for some to go, well, I don't believe in God. It It's taboo to use the word evangelical because that's automatically a right wing conservative, yep. which is not the case. You know, and and then when you see a political party try to own something, boy, that really gets me going. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's tough waters to navigate right now. Uh, yeah. You mentioned podcasting and, you know, I, I've got to just mention you started this podcast earlier this year that um, you know, I, I really enjoyed, it, and it was one of the things that sort of helped, uh, inspire me to, to get going with this show. You and I talked, you know, early on when I was trying to figure this all out and you mm-hmm. were a great guide there, but you know, like I, I loved what you were doing and I, I'm really curious, especially, I feel like one of the things that sort of helped launch your show early on was you had a, an interview with Lynn Shelton, that, mm-hmm. that ended up running. It was like, did it run before she died? You had talked to her right before she, but she, she yeah. passed away very unexpectedly at, at the age of 54. Um, and you had one of the last interviews with her.
1: Yeah. Lynn was, um, Lynn was a dear friend from Seattle up here and we had gotten to know each other through, um, the movie laggies, which was something that she shot up here. She was passionate about shooting here in the Pacific Northwest yeah. and and in building film that way, but really just had a long line of work. And then just most recently was working with, with Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington on little fires everywhere. Right. And so I reached out to Lynn, I said, Hey, I'm starting this podcast, you know, you'd be honest. So oh, I'd love to. And she was living with Mark Marin, who, you know, they were partners. Yep. And so, yeah, so I had that and Mark's, you know, podcast King, and, and right. he's walking around, during the interview, you can hear him creaking on the floors in the background. And at one point I asked Lynn, you know, what is, what does Mark love about you? And she said, Hmm, hang on, let me go ask him. And she left the the room and I could kind of hear some mumbling. And then she comes back and just this great big smile and, and, and gets to tell me that, you know, he, he just loves her excitedness. I think Aww. is what it was. And, And we had that moment. And so I got the audio and I'm just starting podcasting and I don't really know what I'm doing either. And I finally get around to editing the audio and I post the audio, I believe on a Friday. And the next morning I get a text from my agent and she said, so sorry about Lynn. I'm like, what are you you talking about? Mm. And I quick, Went and did a search, and it says Lynn Shelton dead at the age of fifty four. Mm. And here I had had this interview, which, if you listen to the last couple minutes of the interview, it's a little eerie, right. honestly. Yeah. And and I just was, I mean, it was like, you know, <laughs> get back to a test of faith right there. Damn right. you, God! What what is this? You know, it's it's. I mean, honestly, Heath, it's it's hard to talk about right now because here was somebody who. A celebrity, um, but the most approachable human being in the world and living her dream and finding massive success and love and, you know, there she's gone. But but yeah, that was that was like the interview I started with. So it was really weird. You know, her her last tweet was about my our podcast, our interview.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and I'll, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I tried to do a few after that and I've still got some that are sitting in the can that I kind of haven't been able to go back to the console to finish up. Mm. Um, I've gotten busier doing other things, but I, I'm kind of, I'm still kind of grieving that it yeah. was, it was a, you know, I had some people go, wow, what a, what an interview to start with. I'm like, uh I, I would take it down if I could.
0: Right.
1: You know, I mean, I know I can, but I leave it up because. what I've ended up hearing from so many people is about how that allows Lynn to live on and they listen back to it and, you know, they know. That she was in a good place. Yeah. When when her life came to a sudden end.
0: Right. Well, and I'm I'm sorry for your loss, and you know, I, I, you can hear in the interview just sort of the friendship that you guys had, and, and as you say, the warmth that you know she had with Mark, and just sort of feeling like she was in a very good place, I guess. And yeah, it, it is eerie to listen back on, but also it's it's comforting in a way, you know. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Nice There's some to, big
1: life lessons in that conversation.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I do want to talk about this pivot that you made too, and sort of you know, I, again, I've only known you as a broadcaster for you know many many years, and to see on Instagram and stuff that you're now building sheds. Talk to me about just sort of that, uh, you know, this whole idea for backspace sheds. Where did that come from, and what uh, what led you down that road?
1: People are going to start to really wonder if I know what I'm doing because all of a sudden <laughs> he's doing Christian radio, now he's doing sheds. I, I left the the radio job right at the COVID outbreak, and uh-huh. and really, I think the next day, everything shut down. So there weren't going to be a whole bunch of media jobs to pursue. Right, um, And so I kind of looked at that and I was getting my unemployment and and I've always felt a little funny about that. It's like, you know, I know I've paid into it and it's there to help me. And and I'm trying to do a job search, but nobody's hiring. And I just looked at it. I'm like, you know, what can I do? And I, I want to provide for my family. I, I want to has some satisfaction, is what's the media landscape going to be after this whole thing whenever it may end? So I just kind of went back to my roots, and my roots have always been in construction. My dad was a superintendent of construction here in Seattle. I grew up on a farm, and do-it-yourself was the expectation, Right. and I built forts there and treehouses and repaired barns and made woodsheds and all of those things, and you know, kind of dabbled in it, remodeled a bunch. That's how you and I met, is because I wanted to become the next host of this old house. Yeah. When Kevin O'Connor got the job, I had put together a demo and contacted this old house ventures on the Avenue of the Americas in New York and said, I'm going to be back there. Can I bring the tape by? Ended up getting a call back from the executive producer. And I'm like, okay, this is great. Dropped my tape off and Then I got my copy of this old house magazine announcing the new host, Kevin (laughs) (laughs) O'Connor. And I ended up reading about him like, this guy's just like me. His dad was in construction. He's, you know, doing all this. Well, as you know, Kevin and I have become friends. And that's how you and I met is through some of your, your shows that you guys taped out here in Seattle. So I decided I'm going to go suits to boots and I'm going to start building sheds for this time where everybody's trying to work from home Or they need to get away from their kids. Or they need their kids to get away from them. Or we're a restaurant and we need a place for people to eat outside. And the weather's starting to get crummy here in the Northwest and chilly and rainy. What do we do? Let's go beyond the white tent. And I have been busy beyond belief since July when I launched. And I'm just doing it all myself. I'm a one-man band. Wow. Which... Is taking its toll on my shoulder <laughs> and my hands. <laughs> and and at some point I'm looking and I'm hopeful to to hire some people and and be able to say, no, we, we got work. Let's yeah. do this. Um, you know, I've been able to hire some high school kids and, you know, have them come out and do some things, which has also gotten me excited to see their interest. And their inability to read a tape measure. And <laughs> that gets me into thinking about holding some little carpentry classes that I'm going to do. Oh, great. And, you know, just hopefully teach some kids some aspect of the trades. And it's been kind of fun. so, yeah, I'm doing these these custom sheds uh, built like a house. Really, whatever you want. There's a lot of other companies that are out there. But I, I'm not going to be cookie cutter. And we're going to create a solution for the space that you want. And I've got a client now that wants to do a roof deck on a shed. I'm like,
0: great. That sounds fun. Yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah. It's been, it's been kind of crazy.
0: It's interesting too, because when I think of shed, my head goes right to like, it's where you keep the lawnmower and the bikes, you know, things like that. But like, you know, the idea of, of a home office space that's, that's separate from the house. I I could see why that's really appealing right now. Or, you know, as you say, just sort of anything with a roof (laughs) for restaurants, you know, like there, there are a ton of needs, I guess. And it's, it's smart that you saw that opening, I guess, and just said, Oh, you know, there's a way to go. And it sounds like it's, it's paying off.
1: I am sitting here in a spot where I can look and, and I'm surrounded by three different buildings that are all storage buildings. Wow. And, you know, and I look at the number of people that are spending hundreds of dollars a month to store junk that they never see. Right. You know, and, and so, the company that I created is called Backspace. And the really, the idea is we're all using our homes in such completely different ways than we ever expected. Right. Right. I mean, our biggest challenge was, well, how, how could we set up the dining room table and then maybe a kid's table for Thanksgiving? That that was like the biggest challenge. Well, now you've got three laptops on the dining room table and you've got zoom calls and classes and you need to be quiet. No, no, you need to be quiet. and, it's really weird for people. So to be able to create these sheds that we can put in a backyard, which if they choose to get it wired, they can. Um, they can get it drywalled and get insulation put in. Uh, you can put in a, a heat pump if you want and really make it almost like an accessory dwelling unit. Right. Um that if you wanted to go that route. The trick with sheds is they have to be a certain square footage. So in the city of Seattle, it's 120 square feet. Some of the outlying areas can be 200, which I believe is the is the uh, sort of the national building code. And some others are a little bit more than that. So that's where I I look at it as being flexible of, well, what can we create? Do you want what what height do you want? Do you, you know, I've got a client that is buying two new kayaks because that's going to be their entertainment during all of this so they want to shed i'm like great we're going to do a a really high wall on one side and then put in a pulley system so that your kayaks can be stored above you oh cool and you still get the floor space for whatever it is you want to do and you can have your happy hours out there with your kayaks above
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's funny just sort of you know thinking about the entertainment industry and sort of where it's at right now and as you say it's going to be a long time it's it's going to be a long, long time before there's junkets again, you know, paying journalists yeah. to fly across the country. And honestly, I feel like, you know, it just what the late night shows and people like that have done and other talk shows, I guess, with, you know, having Zoom guests and stuff, it feels mm-hmm. like that era may be behind us anyways. But, like, I, I feel like I've just sort of been contracting into my own little cocoon here, too, and just sort of, yep. you know, staying very, very local with everything and, you know. There was a time where I was getting on a plane, you know, every couple of weeks and I haven't yeah. been on a plane since February now. And just like, I don't miss it. I like being home. And, you know, I, yeah. I feel like we're all kind of in that spot right now.
1: Right. I I hope, you know, Jennifer Aniston has her own chickens. I hope she calls me <laughs> to, to do, do a, a, a custom chicken coop for her.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um,
1: I wouldn't mind doing a shed for Morgan Freeman. You know, if I can start doing celebrity sheds, that'd be great. So <laughs> the trick let's,
0: is the trick is you're only, gonna, the you're only going to you're only going to have four minutes to, to right. <laughs> at their location to, to, build a shed. to bring it in.
1: And honestly, Heath, I think I think that this, you know, am I ever going to leave media? No. Is media ever going to leave me? No. Is it going to come together with what I'm doing? That's what I think is most likely. Yeah. And I, I joke about doing, you know, creating a show that we get on HGTV or something, which, by the way, I bumped into a producer at a yard the other day and. And you know, doing something like calling it the Total Shed Show, right? You know, having some having some fun with it, and I just think that I don't know. I just see it coming together. And in the meantime, I'm doing something that I have fun with, and it's challenging and it's rewarding. And you know, it it's certainly something to talk about. Yeah,
0: for sure. You know, I, I, the thing that I'm learning in this time is like whatever it is you're doing for me, it's the show for you. It's, it's the shed project. Like just keep your head down and just keep doing Mm -hmm. it and just get really good at it. And something's going to come out of it. (laughs) Like there's no way to anticipate what, but like just keep doing it. And somehow the universe or, you know, God or whatever, something will conspire to make it, uh, you know, make it sustainable for us all. Well, I'm 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 sitting
1: sitting here kind kind of, I'm sitting here kind of laughing because you know, you mentioned you called me about right. podcasting, and now you've done like 40 podcasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've only done a few, and <laughs> you are, like, some of the guests you're getting are just incredible. So hats off to you.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's uh, It's been a journey, and yeah, none of us know what the end of all this looks like. My my daughter asked me, she's seven, uh, she asked me yesterday, like, when do you think coronavirus is going to be done? And I, I thought about it, and I said maybe by 2023 we'll like really Mm -hmm. be back to normal. Like, you know, it's going to come in waves and stuff, but I I feel like it there's, it's going to be background noise for the next three years. Like it's not, it's not going to be done tomorrow, you know? And
1: it's, it's going to have lasting effects. I I always tell my kids like, look, if all of a sudden there's a vaccine, great. Think about when the iPhone is released. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Not everybody can get it right away. Yeah. All right. So great. There's a vaccine. Now, great. That's going to help reduce numbers. The lasting effect, though, is going to be the way it has changed how we live and the, the way that it changes what we take for granted and what we expect and how we go about our day. You know, you mentioned we're being more deliberate. I think that we're going to be more deliberate as a result of it. I think we're going to be more homebodies as a result of it. I think we're going to be more focused on family as a result of it. And... I don't think any of those things are bad. Mm. They're, they're going to be some good things. You know, it is a tragedy that more than 215,000 people, our fellow citizens, have died and countless more around the world. It's horrible. There's nothing good about that. What we can learn from this and what we can apply to it moving forward, I think, can have a greater good. And that's the part where I, I, I finally, I would say in the last, three weeks have come to a bit of peace with. Yeah. And you know, if it is until 2023, then that's just the way it is. Big deal. I have to wear a mask.
0: Yeah.
1: Big deal. I have to squeeze hand sanitizer into my hand and realize that oh I I I did cut my hand working on a shed today and that really stinks.
0: <laughs> right. Um
1: you know, but I'm here and I'm I'm with my kids and got love in my life and I'm working hard and you know, you've got to, I guess just make the best of all of it.
0: All right, there we go. Scott Cardi. That was awesome, right? It's really inspiring that Scott was able to see the writing on the wall that, you know, broadcasting and entertainment are not going to be the same for a long time. He figured out what else he was good at, what else he was interested in, and he's building a business from scratch. So I don't know what that is for all of us. You know, if you're in the entertainment industry and you're like me, just trying to figure out the next steps, you know, who knows? And it's a weird time, too, because like I one of my dreams is always to have a coffee shop. Well, no one's going to coffee shops right now. So <laughs> you got to figure out, like, if you're not going to stay in entertainment or you're trying to find other ways to supplement income, what can you do that people need? And you heard him there. People need sheds they need to kind of segregate from the rest of their family and have a space that they can go to that's all theirs and just zone out. So I'm I'm excited for Scott, his company Backspace Sheds, built sheds in the Seattle area and check out his podcast The Scott Cardi Party. He's got a couple episodes up and uh, you heard him there. I mean, it's a it's a tough situation to have somebody that you're friends with pass away unexpectedly. I mean, that's that's hard enough on its own, but to have your podcast be one of the last sort of public things that she's done. I can imagine just how tough that is and how hard it is to, you know, get back in and edit shows and schedule new interviews and stuff. But he was doing great stuff. There's a couple new episodes up and, uh, you know, hopefully he can figure out a way to keep that going along with shed building and, you know, all the other stuff he's talking about. All right. I have new shows every Monday and Thursday. So I hope you come back and join me again. I'll be back on Thursday. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Shoot me a note. Let's follow each other. Let's be like me and Scott. Maybe I'll be interviewing you guys eight or 10 years from now. Talk to you on Thursday. Stay safe.